This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov Shavuotov, how are you? Bokertov Shavuotov, well, finally the Knesset has gone into the summer recess. Oh, thank goodness. And some of us are breathing a <laughs> sigh of relief. I was just going to um, say, they but, can do so much less damage when they're on a break. Exactly. So the, the recess actually lasts until after the Chagim, which this year are kind of into October. Um, so um, the Knesset will late. not reconvene until then. I was trying to explain but, to Mukundi earlier that our holidays, Jewish holidays, are never on time. Um, they're always late or early. So this like, it's like avocados being ripe. So exactly. this year they're late, Mukundi. Exactly. Well, I don't know how late. I think they're a little early this year because I remember <laughs> sometimes things go, whatever. We also disagree on whether it's early or late. It depends exactly. on what your time zone is, exactly. right? Um, but um, some of the little snippets that are going on in the background, because we've got a very significant discussion that mm. I'm going to try and launch into a little later, but just some of the snippets going on in the background. There's a defense security reassessment going on in Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu to meet with the security chiefs to assess things on Israel's northern border. Hezbollah has seemed to have sort of picked up the ante a little bit. I'm not quite sure whether they sense that Israel's at a weak moment because of all the judicial reforms and they might be trying something on. There's certainly been quite a lot of activity on the northern border, some of which we've spoken about over the last few weeks. Um, but that, that uh, security assessment is due to take place, um, in, if not today, then in the coming days, uh, in order to try to determine some sort of a response to events on the northern border. On the one hand, we want to be firm and secure. On the other hand, we don't want to light any fuses that could potentially ignite um, some sort of a conflict on the northern border. Interestingly, the U.S. administration has picked up issues, picked up the, the discussion of potential agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And it's fascinating for me because um, Saudi Arabia have said in no uncertain terms up until now that the resolution of the Palestinian issue is a precursor to any uh, deal being done between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Joe Biden, also President Joe Biden, saying that in the current circumstances, it didn't seem appropriate to try to progress an agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia, and all of a sudden we wake up on Sunday morning and things are all on the agenda. I just wonder secretly whether President Biden is not trying to use this as a bit of a carrot and a stick to try and draw Prime Minister Netanyahu into uh, something which looks like it could happen and then say, hang on a second, until you get your act together and you sort things out, we're gonna not, we're not gonna take it any further than this. I just wonder whether there's some tactic going on here. Mm. Just my personal opinion. I haven't seen that written anywhere at all. Right, right. And let's uh, keep an eye on that. Right. So Anthony, we wanted to have a discussion because we spoke last week and we've, we've continued obviously covering the judicial reform. And one of the comments I made last week was there just seems to be 
it's my concern is it seems to be quite almost dramatic, melodramatic, maybe because I'm looking at it from outside of Israel where things are very, very imperfect here. And I look at Israel and I look at what people have there and what's going on. And I think, wow, guys, guys, you know, just appreciate what you've got. And, and maybe, maybe it's not as bad as, as you think. And then we had the Moody's uh, warning. And I also thought to myself, well, are we not talking in Israel, talking ourselves into economic decline? Uh, because that that's how that's how the economy works, right? Less less confidence and all of this 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 gnashing of teeth and tearing of clothes, and uh, and eventually the message does come through that maybe there's trouble. Uh, and I worry it's been a little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. You then said to me, uh, you know, maybe it's a lack of understanding on my part and from people outside of Israel. Well, obviously I don't think it's only about being outside of Israel because other people there's there's conflict within Israel itself. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all of this going on. So the the idea was to talk about it today and for you to take us through the the judicial reform where it's at and why it is that people like yourselves are very very concerned about it and whether we agree to disagree at the end whether we agree uh, well that's irrelevant but it's all about the conversation actually yeah, so I'm, I'm certainly not seeking to try and buy in support, um, because everybody will obviously formulate their own views at the end of the day about whether this is storm in its teacup or whether the concerns and the protests are real, are founded on something which is, uh, which is real, which is of big concern. And just to put things into context, people have been protesting week after week after week for 30 consecutive weeks. Once again on Saturday night, people turned out in their tens and hundreds of thousands in order to, um, to protest against the judicial reform. And my view is that if it was simply a storm in a teacup and if it, the, the concern wasn't founded on something substantial, I don't know that people would just be continuing to protest in the way that they do, that people would be so concerned about what's going on. And I do agree that to some extent, the instability is being caused by the protest itself. I get that. I do get that. So the question is, is the protest really founded on something which is substantial, which is, which is real and which is justifiable because it does create some level of, of instability. And I think in order to try and understand how things work from within Israel, we have to start with Israel's demographic setup. Just to, to, to summarize, my numbers are not 100% exact, so I'm, I'm giving that warning right away. I've rounded up some mm, of the numbers mm, just to create right. um, just to create an un- understanding of where we're at. And also a lot of the numbers have conflicted and some of them come back from 2017. Things have moved on since then. But I think you're going to get a picture of where we're at. So in terms of the 10 million people who live currently in Israel, almost 10 million people who live in Israel, about 21% of them are Arabs and about 5.5% are other non-Jews. So that leaves the Jewish population of Israel at around 73.5% of the total. Let's call it 75 Mm -hmm. for this particular discussion. Three quarters of the people who live here are Jewish and another quarter are mostly Arab and some others as well. And within the 75% of Jews, we then have other divisions. Uh, It's very, very uh, disparate and, 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 and cut up and, 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 and divided up. So let's go through that. Now, 
the Haredi ultra-Orthodox community in Israel represent approximately 10% of the total, not of the Jews, but of the total population of Israel. About 1 million people, more or less. That's the number that I've seen banded around. Some people have said 8%, some people have said 12%, but I'm going to settle on 10%. And equally, the modern Orthodox community, those people who are religious but are not in the ultra-Orthodox community, number another proc- approximately 10% of the total. So they are almost equivalent, which means that out of uh, the total population, the non-Orthodox make up around 50%, a little bit more perhaps, about 52% or so of the total population. But even within the non-Orthodox, or what some people like to call the secular community, mm. there are divisions. There are those who are really secular, consider themselves to be secular, approximately 30% of Israelis. There are those people who consider themselves to be traditional non-religious, so they follow some sort of mm. uh, Jewish traditions, but they consider themselves to be non-religious, approximately 14% of the total, and another 10% who consider themselves to be traditional religious. So they're not observant, but they have some level of religion that they follow. And so you're kind of getting the picture that we don't really have any group that is, uh, that is a majority over the others. And indeed, that's how we see the Knesset, because when the Knesset gets elected, just to give you an, um, an understanding, the 20% of the Arabs managed to get only 8% of the representation in the Knesset, 10 Knesset members. And by the way, those Arab parties are also made up of different parties within themselves. So it's not one Arab party representing all Arabs. In fact, in the case of at the moment in the Knesset, there are two Arab parties, but there are a number of Arab parties who didn't even manage to make it through the minimum threshold. So Mm. again, every single group is really split up. And within the Jewish parties, we said the Haredim comprise approximately 10% of our demographics. Well, they have 18 seats in the Knesset, which is 15% of the makeup of the Knesset. The modern Orthodox parties have 14 seats in the Knesset. It's about 12% of the total, whereas their population group is about 10% of totals. And other non-Orthodox parties, there are five of them in total, have 78 seats in the Knesset. So what the result of all of that is, is that if any particular group wishes to pursue an agenda of any type, they do not have a majority to pursue this within the Knesset. And as a result of that, everybody has to cooperate with everybody else in order to get their agenda item heard, to get their policies uh, enacted through the Knesset. And let's have a look at some of these conflicting agenda items just to get an understanding of where some of the conflict arises. So, for example, within the ultra-Orthodox community, they are very, very eager to try to separate themselves from the rest of society. I think for fear that mm. their flock may well wander and be influenced by some of the temptations of the outside world. So in order to separate themselves from their society, they like to strengthen their school systems to to strengthen the yeshiva and the kolel systems to maintain 
only religious educational right. content so they, they are, within okay, their I'm schools. Just keeping an eye on time, but so they are they they very, they focus very much on their own community issues, is what you're saying. They do, they mm. do, and they need money to do that, and so they will pursue almost any agenda through the Knesset in order to get the money to get the stipends to pay those yeshiva boys, right. so they don't okay. have to go and be involved in the rest of the community. They want to keep their people outside of the military. They want to protect Jewish values. No transport on Shabbat. No infrastructure work on Shabbat. No chametz being eaten in public areas on Pesach. They oppose the LGBTQ movement and all that comes with it. No adoption for single-sex couples. No surrogacy for single-sex couples. No recognition on the population register for those people who might be bringing children in. The modern Orthodox community have some areas in common with the ultra-Orthodox community, but not but not across the board. They also oppose the LGBTQ community, but they also have this issue about the borders of the land of Israel and where Israel has control. They have uh, they have a lot of opposition to recognition of the Palestinian state, and they are very much firm on a strong defense. When we look at the secular community, we want to pro- uh, the, the secular community wish to protect their freedoms of choice on religious religious items and sexuality. They want improved education and medical infrastructure. They are sensitive on the environmental issues and also in common with the modern Orthodox, they need strong defense. They want Israel to be strong defensively. And so what we see is that in order to pursue things through the Knesset, everybody has to cooperate with everybody else. If everybody was just allowed a free vote according to their conscience on the matters that come up before the Knesset, probably nothing would pass because there would be no majority for anything. Nobody would fully support any matter unless they could solicit support from other groups who they oppose. And so deals are done with the devil in order to make sure, for example, that the budget passes. The ultra-Orthodox community say, I will support your budget as long as I get the stipends for my yeshivas. I don't mind supporting your budget, but there has to be a quid pro quo. And so what happens is that we have deals that are done in the Knesset in order to further policy and, and, and further certain agendas, which the general public outside don't like. So even their own representatives are supporting, for example, giving money to the yeshiva system, which a lot of secular people oppose, and their own representatives are supporting this in order to get the budget passed. And then people from outside of the Knesset, the regular citizens, say, the most important thing that I have in my life is the high court system. Because if something is passed through the Knesset which is unreasonable or which is against another law, I know that I can appeal to the high court and the high court will protect my rights no matter what deals are done with the devil in the Knesset. But the Anthony, doesn't that, speak my to a place. Pre- doesn't that speak to a prejudice in of itself from the secular community that that doesn't particularly value the uh, the yeshiva stipends or the and I'm not giving not saying you know my view on it on this at all but but uh, doesn't it doesn't it pre- doesn't it speak to a prejudice and says well you know what I the the, the army system is well, not the army system the Knesset system is imperfect so the only way or the way in which we've created a way to um, to deal with what I don't like is is through the Supreme Court. That really Correct. shouldn't that be happening within government in any event and find a way within government to sort that out. 
it should be happening in government. I absolutely agree with you. Unfortunately, the parties and the characters at play do not support that concept at all. Unfortunately, it's just simply for whatever reason doesn't exist within the government and the Knesset setup. And so therefore, the High Court has become one of the critical legs of what is a very fractured and very, very precariously balanced society. Everybody has their way of getting what they want, and people feel that they have certain protections in place. The moment one of those legs is removed from this very precarious table, the whole thing looks like it's going to fall over. Certain people feel that their rights and their protections are being taken away from them, and they feel that they are going to be disadvantaged. So, for example, the LGBTQ community are feeling very, very uh, fragile right now with the state of play with the High Court because they know that at the head of the Ministry of Interior is a Shas member of Parliament, and we all know that he will not support surrogacy for single-sex couples and those children being brought to Israel and registered Israeli citizens. They will do everything that they can to oppose those. And the single-sex couples know that if they uh, are denied that right, they can appeal to the High Court. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying, well, the High Court has not the right to rule on reasonableness. And that was where the protection lay. So this very, very important leg that supported one little area of our system is potentially being taken away. And people are feeling extremely vulnerable as a result of that being taken so, away. But, but, I know we've run over yeah, the time. Um, and I'm really we, sorry. We, which is a concern because we, we're only sort of halfway through this conversation. But just a quick question is how, how are these, these judges chosen because it, surely they have to reflect the will of the people and not just the will of, as you've correctly said, a quite fragmented section of the um, the Israeli public who have a very specific um, agenda for that Supreme Court, which is really to counterbalance what they don't like from their perspective in government. So the judges of the Supreme Court, unfortunately, do not represent Israeli society, the demographics that I set out earlier. Most of the judges are uh, secular judges. I can't recall um, any ultra-Orthodox judges sitting on the, the bench of the Supreme Court. There are some religious judges, but in the most part, these are secular. They're considered to be secular. They're considered to be a bench that supports the secular community a lot more than they would ever uh, support the ultra-Orthodox or the religious community. Therein lies some of the issue and some of the problem. The truth of the matter is that most of the matters that are being brought to the High Court are matters which are really opposing some of the um, impositions that uh, some people feel are being made on Israeli society by the religious community, um, challenging the reasonableness of whether you should be eating a chametz in a hospital on Pesach, the reasonableness of presenting, preventing infrastructure work being done on railways on Shabbat in order to allow us to function as a society. The ultra-Orthodox community are opposing that. They're imposing their will on people who are, don't want it. There are appeals to the High Court, and the High Court are considered to be, in the most part, I would say, protective of the mm -hmm. secular community. Therein does lie one of the issues. Um, I don't know that we yeah. can necessarily carry on now, but, but we can certainly continue, continue this. this discussion, and I hope people will dive in and, and, uh, and make Absolutely. We've known. got quite a lot of comments here. Carol saying, cliffhanger for tomorrow. Please continue. We certainly will uh, tomorrow. Anthony Rao, thank you as always. We'll catch you 7.45.
That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com.